0: Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is episode number 440. This is Tim Malouli. With me today is Tom Malouli. Tom, how's it going? It's going well. Aaron Rodgers is on the Jets. Yes. He's being uh, introduced probably by the time this podcast is over, in the next half hour. Wow. So, exciting times for Jets fans. We have a couple things that we want to talk about today, uh, a few articles that we'll link to in the show notes. The first one that we wanted to talk about uh, is called How Much Can We Take? It's from Michael Batnick from Ritholtz Wealth Management. You're going to do something a little unusual. Yeah. So I was reading the post this morning and the first couple paragraphs uh, were so succinct and to the point that I thought we need to talk about this on the podcast. And I honestly think I'm just going to read this verbatim the first couple paragraphs, because he summed up exactly what has happened. So many things had happened to the market and the economy over the last couple of years, uh, pretty much asking, how much can we all take? Uh, and then there are, are some other points that we want to build off of once we recap everything that has happened. So, this next portion here is is just the first couple paragraphs. It'll only take a minute, so bear Com- with me. Compliment, but...
1: Our compliments to Michael
0: Batnick. We are not yeah. the author of this,
1: you know, next little bit here. Yep. Yeah.
0: He writes The economy has been through a lot over the past couple of years. We turned it off and we turned it back on again like we were restarting a video game. A combination of fiscal stimulus and supply ch- supply chain disruptions led to an inflationary spike not seen in over four decades. All the containers stuck in the ports of Los Angeles wreaked havoc on many consumer-facing companies. Semiconductors were in short supply. Used car prices went through the roof. Amidst all the chaos, Russia invaded Ukraine, sent energy and commodity prices vertical. To slow all this down, the Federal Reserve undertook a historic increase in interest rates, basically straight up for the last year and counting. That caused the housing market, at least the existing one, to all but freeze over It also caused several financial institutions to mismanage their interest rate risk and led to some of the biggest bank runs this country has ever seen. Rising interest rates destroyed any appetite for risk-taking, with tech being at the epicenter of the enthusiasm unwind. Venture funding dried up, IPOs ground to a halt, and even mega-cap tech companies were forced to do massive layoffs. Along the way, the S&P 500 fell 25%, and the NASDAQ 100 lost more than a third of its value. The $3 trillion office real estate market is going to experience some pain over the next few years with occupancies down, borrowing costs up, and the cherry on top of this disgusting Sunday is the looming contraction in credit. How much can we take? And that's the end of the excerpt. There's more. You know, in the in the post that that Michael there is, wrote, but... there
1: is more, and we'll link to it in the show notes so you can read the whole post. It's very very good. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it it very succinctly captures what has happened over the last three years to get us to this point. Yeah. Interesting that we're starting to see headlines now talking about the looming credit. Contraction, we don't know. Right. We don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah, a couple Um, of those
0: things are projections into the future, may or may not happen.
1: the The three trillion office real estate market.
0: That's an opinion. It seems like it's trending in that direction, though. More and more people are still working at home, and people are not coming back to the office in full force. So the only the only issue I have with that
1: is. And again, this is a minor point, is that I have, uh, in doing a lot of uh, research and digging through the archives, I've found that we have been looking for uh, a contraction in office corporate real estate going back to when the Japanese bought Rockefeller Center in 1987, and so for 30 years plus now, we've been hearing that the uh, corporate real estate market, uh, you know, the office and strip malls and uh, shopping malls, and this is all overbuilt and we need to have some day of reckoning hasn't happened yet. Maybe this is, maybe this will be the trigger. Yeah. Uh, maybe COVID and people working from home will be the ultimate tipping point Yeah. for, um, for this market. So I, far, it's kind of worked out.
0: Yeah, I think all of that to say, everything that Michael laid out, you look at all of those headlines and everything that's happened, you probably think we are in the pit of despair right now. And, you know, everyone is down in the dumps. And while the sentiment for some people might feel that way, the, the market is actually off to a pretty good start this year. The economy tends, is, is being stubbornly strong to the point uh, where some people are rooting for it to weaken a little bit, um, but you know we've kind of withstood all of this, everything that's gotten thrown at us, and the state of affairs currently is, we're not in that bad of shape. So
1: there's a statistic that kind of bubbles up to the surface at least four times a year <clears throat> when we get the gross domestic product uh, report, the GDP, And that number uh, typically is somewhere around the low 70s. Something like 71% of gross domestic product in the United States is driven by the consumer. If the consumer ever gets tapped out, we're in trouble. And that amazingly has been extremely accurate for my entire career. Uh, When the consumer got tapped out, in 2008, 2009, and even going into 2010, we had some some bumpy, some bumpy paths. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting how <clears throat> no one could get a loan to buy a car in 2009. And people had trouble getting mortgages in 2010 and even into 2011. Uh, but the market had already turned the corner. Yeah. in March of 2009 and started moving up. So the market tends to anticipate what the next six to 12 months are going to look like. So, you know, I heard someone on Bloomberg this morning saying we may be in a recession right now. Uh, we won't know that for a few more months or even a, a couple of quarters, but the market tends to look ahead. And so when you see, uh, Batnik had these numbers, the S&P fell 25 percent, the NASDAQ lost more than a third. That is anticipating some kind of slowdown. Now, it may be a slowdown in economic activity. It may be a slowdown in earnings or both. No one knows at the time. But this goes, I'm going to tie in his partner, Josh Brown, who has said many, many times, you could have, you could know the news of you know, what tomorrow's news is going to look like. What you don't know is how the market is going to react yeah. to that news. I mean, look, you and I sat across from each other three years ago and we, we heard the pitch. It's going to be, we're going to basically shut down the economy for 15 days to flatten the curve. Right. <clears throat> you know, that turned into <clears throat> two and a half years. Right. Of trying to explain away COVID.
0: Yeah. Yeah, We don't. we don't really know what's coming and i feel like sometimes when the market drops uh when things get get rough people get so beaten down and so pessimistic and negative in their mindset that when things start to turn around they don't believe it Uh, and you've said that before in the past in 2009 when the market bottomed things started going back up and you know people were like this can't be real this can't be real and by the time everyone came came around on it and be like oh wait this I think this is actually real. They they missed out on a huge move in the market. Yeah. And you know, we tell people all the time, yes, the accounts might be down year to date or over x amount of time, but the only way to make that money back is to remain invested. So, right. you know, if you try and jump out at any way along the bottom and don't absolutely nail the bottom, you're going to you're going to miss out on some of that recovery and it's really really hard to nail the bottom because Bottoms happen when headlines like what we're seeing now are are happening. Yeah. So these these negative headlines, everything that Michael outlined in the first couple paragraphs that I've just read, those those things are still coming out over there's a couple things the looming credit contract. You know, everything that he said might happen in the future. I mean, doesn't necessarily mean that the market is gonna drop again because of it. So there are things that happen along the way, I think that you know, people just have to remain uh, open to the idea that the market can recover while the news is still bad.
1: Even though we we might know what tomorrow's headlines are going to be, we still don't know how the market's going to react. And yes, that was a lot of bad news and the market took some hits, but it seems to have been hanging in there. But there have also been times where we thought, hey, this is probably the bottom And it wasn't. Right. To be fair, you know, we want to talk about both sides. We had uh, Lehman file for bankruptcy in, uh, it was September 15th, 2008. Within a week of, of that date, before and after, we saw Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac get bailed out. Then Lehman went under. And everybody kind of thought like, okay, it can't get any worse than this. The following, like four days later, they had to do a bailout of AIG, which, uh, by the way, at the time, was a member of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, That was all in September of 2008. Market continued to sell off. uh, But, you know, November and December, things actually started to level off and, and actually go up a little bit. So folks started to think, hey... Maybe the worst is over. Right. Maybe we're, maybe we're, we're going to find our way out of this. Yeah. No, no. In January and February, the market went down another 25% before right. the S&P bottomed at 666 on March 9th of 2009. So again, y- you don't know. And we saw plenty of people who uh, said through all of 2009, as the market went straight back up, the, oh, this is a suckers' rally It's a head fake don't believe it and by the time people finally started believing that it was a rally that it was real, it was the end of two thousand ten a year and a half later in two thousand eleven the market laid an egg. yeah it did nothing
0: yeah, I think it's um less of an endorsement of where we think the market is going right now or or in the immediate future, and more of a reason to just stop trying to guess where the market is going in general, because we don't know. Typically in, in the past, when people get as a whole extremely bearish, uh, there it, it tends to be, a, you know, sometimes a, a contrarian indicator, and you can only get so bearish before things turn bullish again. And, you know, that kind of leads us into the second article that we had, which was from Ryan Dietrich. Uh, he Posts some really great stuff uh, for Carson Group, and he's got stuff on Twitter as well. If you are on Twitter, dear listener, follow Ryan Dietrich,
1: D-E-T-R-I-C-K. He's an excellent follow on Twitter.
0: Yeah. And uh, so this morning he published an article um, that was titled, Is Anyone Bullish? Part 2. And they had written... Uh, part one back in December, I believe, of last year, and pretty much he, he was talking about similar to Michael Batnick, how you know all of the headlines and everything and people's sentiment are so unbelievably negative right now. That is that actually uh, a bullish case for the market, and you know the market has been performing well so far in 2023, especially relative to last year. Um, so, you know, why are people still so bearish even after the market has been doing well and the economy has been doing well too? It's weird when people think that the economy doing well is a bad thing.
1: Right. Uh, And I I just want to set the record straight because oftentimes we'll sit here in the conference room with someone who's coming in to meet us for the first time. And they'll say something like, 2022 was so bad for the markets. And every once in a while when I'm feeling randy, <laughs> I'll be like, oh, is that so?
0: Why? Yeah.
1: Like, please explain Tell yourself. Tell me why. Yeah. yeah. And we'll hear, oh, well, I lost 20% in my 401k last year. And I'm, you know, I don't want to sound like the... um the old school teacher who's trying to reprimand and correct everybody. But if you look at your statements, you'll see that from the, the market hit a high for the year, January 3rd, the first business day of the year, and the market went pretty much straight down for six months. And if you look at where the market was on July 1st of 2022, and the end of the year, the market basically did nothing. It was treading water, and we're up from there. Uh, you know, depending on which day and where you want to draw the lines, uh, you know, we're up six or eight percent. Um, you know, from Thanksgiving, and we're recording this in late April. Yeah. So, about six months. The uh, market's been recovering. And, and we've been up higher than we have been now. Uh, so we had a bad six months. Yeah. And that six months was a year ago. Right. And we've basically been treading water ever since. But there's two points to take out of that. Number one, it wasn't a totally bad year. We had all the bad news up front. Yeah. So the the other part of this is, and I I think folks really lose sight of this point, is that the market can fall fast. I mean, what Batnick, you know, the numbers that Batnick was talking about, where the S&P lost 25% and the NASDAQ lost 33%, that happened in six months. It happened very quickly. And the market's basically been flatlining since then.
0: The good thing for everybody out there is most people didn't just have 2022 to invest and in, now they can't invest anymore for the rest of their lives. Twenty and, and what happened before 2022 didn't exist. The only period that you had to invest money was 2022 from January to December. Then, yeah, it was probably pretty bad for you. But what happened before 2022 and what's going to happen after in 2023 and beyond yeah, and in, a, in a vacuum, those 12 months or six months even were not great. But the good thing is we have time to make it back. And you had made money along the way leading up to this. So it, it, market downturns, you got to put it into context because sometimes the market gets it too far ahead of itself. Leading into 2022, that's all we heard was that, oh, we're due for a pullback. We're due for a pullback. These valuations are too high. You know, the market needs to come down. Everything We need to take a little bit of a breather. And then the market took a breather for six months and everyone lost their mind. So, (laughs) like, sometimes you just throw your hands up. It's like, what do do people want? I don't understand.
1: Yeah, we finally got what we wanted.
0: Yeah. Same thing with, kind of, with Dietrich's point in his post. It's, you know, market's off to a pretty good start this year. The economy is uh, holding up pretty well. And... People are as bearish as they've ever been. Yeah. Why? <laughs>
1: um, I think it's, it's popular to be negative. Uh,
0: yeah. I agree I, with that. I
1: also think that, you know, I forget if it was a, a podcast or a video, but uh, recently I brought up the name Elaine Gazzarelli, and uh, she uh, got a, her 15 minutes of fame. Elaine, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But uh, her claim to fame... In the 80s was about a week before the crash she was on one of these financial tv shows and said i think we're setting ourselves up for a big crash in the market maybe as much as 20 percent and you know then we got 22 percent in one day right. and so you know shearson lehman being you know the ultimate opt- opportunists they jumped on that and created a a huge uh fund where they raised a lot of money uh for that but I think there's still that thought in the back of everyone who goes on financial media, whether it's online or on TV, where it's like, I want to be out in front saying this market could go down. Yeah. Because then they can point back and say, see, that guy from XYZ firm, he called it. Yeah. And so now everybody is bearish.
0: They're not going to have you on TV to give the real answer. Which is I don't know, right? <laughs> you're not going to get asked back if that's what you say. So you got to have an outrageous take one way or the other. It happens in the financial media. You see it all over ESPN, uh, politics, sports, entertainment, financial media. You got to have a hot take, otherwise you're not getting asked back. But True. oftentimes, you know they they don't judge you by the nine losing opinions but they keep hold on to that one winner if, right. if there's you're making 10 calls one of them's got to be right
1: i um look I at don't, the
0: guy from the big short right. michael burry Yep, cassandra i see articles on market watch said oh michael burry says this he says this again and and how many times has he been wrong since the one time that he was very very right He was very right once. He's been wrong
1: often uh, beyond that. Coincidentally, this chart that uh, I'm going to hold up so everybody listening to the podcast can see (laughs) this, Uh, but um, we have this chart that Ryan Dietrich shared. Every single one of these uh, firms, these Wall Street firms, is calling for a lower target on the S&P 500 than where we are right now. Every single one of these firms 12 months ago had a higher target than where we were at the time right so this is the ultimate in my opinion the ultimate contra indicator right if everybody on wall street is saying the market's going lower buy signal
0: it's like when we talk about year-end price targets you know the how many how many firms every year is just like more of the same more of the same you know you don't want to be the one firm that sticks out and says we think uh, things are actually going to turn around this year.
1: Part of the reason why we follow a guy like Ryan Dietrich,
0: yeah, yeah, Ryan tends to be uh, optimistic in nature with you know what he's looking at, and I mean the numbers are the numbers. It's not like he's he's making things up. These are all very accurate charts and graphs and numbers and things that point towards you know the the positives that are out there in the market because there are quite a few, despite what you see uh, from people and. I'm looking at this chart as well and it also is just very telling, you know, the way that they conduct some of these surveys, too. They have you ever seen when you know they give you certain options to choose from and and everyone kind of picks the option towards the middle because no one wants to be on one end or the other. The chart that we're looking at is almost it it's it's a pretty good bell curve in terms of uh yeah, you know, the options on the end are not highly picked and the options in the middle are the most most selected, so it's just a lot of people saying to me that says I don't know and I'm going to choose somewhere in the middle because I have to choose something it's... and I don't want to be incredibly re- incredibly wrong one way or the other. So, uh almost 55% of those uh surveyed
1: Expect the S&P 500 at the end of 2023 to be at 3,500. So more than half. So another 13% think that the S&P 500 will be below 3,500. 26% say it'll be somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000. So there is uh,
0: 90%. Yeah, more than that. More than nine. Yeah, over 90%.
1: Uh, are people saying it's going to be below thirty five hundred or up to four thousand? Yeah. There is a half of one percent, a half of one percent who expect the S and P five hundred will be above forty five hundred at the end of the year.
0: Yeah, I think all of this to say that uh, it, it, these people answering these surveys are professionals that do this for a living and. You know, even even they get it wrong and people tend to just pile into one camp or the other, whether it's super bullish or super bearish. And a lot of times, you know, when it when it's bearish, like we've outlined, the market can be going up while headlines and people's sentiment and what people think are going the opposite direction. So I wouldn't necessarily just read the headlines and look at polls and sentiment surveys of what people are feeling and actually take a look at the numbers of what the market is actually doing. Sometimes you, you might be pleasantly surprised. I think that's going to wrap up episode 440 of the Maluli Asset Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Tom Malouli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.